are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Job. Tonight we're going to be finishing our consideration of this fantastic book, and we're looking at chapter 42. You'll find this on page 447 of the Pew Bible. And out of chapter 42, we're going to be reading together verses 10 through 17. Job 42, 10 through 17. Hear the word of God. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hupak. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, four generations. And Job died, an old man and full of days. Well, in our consideration of Job, we have come to the final chapter in the story. And in one sense, what this has been is a tale of a godly man who persevered. His was a sudden and cataclysmic fall from great riches to filthy rags. But despite losing his wealth and his rank and his children and the support of his wife, he persevered. In another sense, this has been the vindication that God's grace is sufficient, that grace which the devil mocked at the beginning. When the Lord highlighted Job's sincere and saving faith, Satan slandered him. You've blessed him and he prospers. Take it away and he'll curse you. But this was untrue and proved by Job's godly response to his losses. He arose, tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he did not sin with his lips. He did not charge God with wrong. And the Lord again underlined Job's sincere and saving faith because he said there's nobody like him. And refusing to admit that he had been beaten, the devil reiterated his slander. Skin for skin, he said, all that a man has he'll give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he'll curse you to your face. So Job's health was stripped away. His wife turns against him, and the test was on. 
And in the end, Job's faith was commended and God's grace was vindicated. He was a sincere believer. He was not in it for the temporal comforts. God's grace is sufficient to convert sinners and to preserve believers. He makes his word effectual in transforming rebels into heirs of salvation. And in Job's case, he endured all his trials and he never walked away from his faith. That's not easy because his love for God God was sincere. He served and worshipped his God for no other reason than that he loved him. His suffering and his restoration, I believe, illustrate how God deals with his children. The Lord delivers us from evil, all sorts of evil, to bring us into blessing. And so we've learned here that true religion is not a means to temporal prosperity. This type of thinking was characteristic of Job's so-called comforters. The Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. He and his two friends had gotten it wrong, and Job's name was vindicated. Just because a person is godly does not mean that he'll always prosper. And just because a person is ungodly does not mean that he'll suffer adversity. Asaph struggled with this when he said they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. And as we have noted several times, providence is shrouded in mystery. However, God's creation is good. And the comforts that he provides are generous. Think of it. He blesses us with marriage. Family, work, wealth, friends, other benefits. And these are gifts of common grace. They're enjoyed by believers and unbelievers alike. But in the case of unbelievers, their enjoyment is relatively short-lived. They experience good things only during their brief sojourn upon the earth. By contrast, according to Matthew 5, Jesus says, The blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those with the evangelical meekness like Christ become heirs of all things. Believers can look forward to enjoying all the material blessings of creation, anything you want. It'll be a new creation. It'll have all the material benefits of this earth. Because in salvation, we're promised that the whole man will be blessed, body and soul. And thus, at the consummation, God's people will be given joy for their ashes. Job's material and temporal restoration is designed to be a foreshadowing of what we can anticipate. His life was ordained before time as a prophetic portrait. James 5, he says this, You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. Well, that purpose was for Job to foreshadow the believer's rags to riches. Rags to riches. First, there is the gift of life, which is in and of itself a blessing. Second, there is suffering. Every one of us suffers to one degree or another. Every blessing in this life is tainted. Third, there is the restoration of all things, the eschatological hope. 
The double restoration for Job symbolizes the saint's inheritance. It is of interest, I think, that Job's circumstances improved only after he interceded for his friends. Notice what it says in verse 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Well, what that implies is this, that Job's deliverance from satanic assaults became evident post-prayer. In other words, only after his intercession on behalf of his three so-called comforters did things start to turn around for him. God blessed him after his faith had been tested and his sincerity was on display. He was not in it simply for the benefits because Satan had lied. Job loved the Lord and he proved it in part by praying for his so-called friends while he was still suffering. You know, you and I are taught to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we have every reason to think that we've been forgiven if we have this testimony in ourselves that we, from the heart, forgive others their offenses. That's what Job did. Job's friends had wronged him. They had slandered his name. And yet here he is praying for their restoration. He was far more concerned with the glory of God than the comforts of the world that he had lost. He was one of those who sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and therefore all these things were added to him. He was seeking God's kingdom and God's righteousness, that of Christ. He put aside his losses and fixed his attention on eternal things. And in so doing, he served as a type of Jesus Christ, who interceded as he suffered. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, it was the sacrifice of Christ that established the righteousness of God's kingdom. And his continual intercession for the elect ensures that that righteousness will become ours, yours and mine. And I don't think we should miss the significance of how abundantly Job was blessed. Look what it says. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before, doubly blessed. Everything he lost was restored twofold. In the beginning of the book, he had 7,000 sheep. Now he has 14,000. In the beginning of the book, he had 3,000 camels, and now he had 6,000. Then he had two yokes of 500. Now he has two of 1,000. Right down the line, Job received from the Lord double of everything. Jesus had said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Well, as one commentator put it, Job unfolded the riddle and got through the needle's eye with 3,000 camels. The double blessing is extended not only to property, but also to his family. He also, had says, had seven sons and three daughters. And someone says, well, wait a minute, that's exactly the number he had at the beginning. But as my old professor, Meredith Klein, tells us, the dead children are still Job's in his hope of immortality. What Klein means is that in the resurrection, there will be 20 children. As Job himself believed, they were received into Abraham's bosom, and in the presence of the Lord, their souls were very much alive, immortal. So this second set of ten, when added to the first, actually doubles his family. Job fully expected to be reunited with all 20 children at the resurrection of the dead. 
All this was a case of double blessing after the example of Israel herself. As we read, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion and they shall have everlasting joy. This is the reparation that God would make for all the trouble that they endured. The Israelites, for their suffering and shame, would enjoy double honor. And as Thomas Manton observes, God delights to put special marks of favor upon his people that have been faithful in an hour of trial. Let me read that again. God delights to put special marks of favor upon his people that have been faithful in an hour of trial. It seems that God often does it for his chosen people for at least two reasons. First, he does this to illustrate before a watching world the unparalleled advantage of godliness. Paul says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Through every and every and any circumstance, godliness is of great benefit. But then secondly, he does this to teach his children that we have no reason to murmur or complain. No reason. In due time, he will show the value of being sorely tested, whether it's in this life or the next. We are called to wait upon the providence of God from day to day, and the devil may assault us, and we may sustain all kinds of blows, but all the while we know that God is preparing us for something great. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's James. And notice how Job's unusually long life of an additional 140 years shows his fullness. He lived a very long life and was able to enjoy four generations. The psalmist tells us that children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And Solomon teaches that grandchildren are the crown of the aged. So what a rich blessing it was for him to see so many of his descendants. I think what this implies is that his wife had been restored from despair. When she told her husband to curse God and die, she had gone temporarily insane. She had been completely overwhelmed by her losses and the bereavement that she suffered. Who wouldn't have, losing all ten children at once? She was devastated. But here we see that she has been restored and blessed right along with her husband. And as her covenant head, Job sanctified her by, her, by his justifying faith. Isn't that what Paul says? The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband? You see, for a very brief period, only temporarily, Job's wife had fallen into unbelief. Am I saying that she's saved because of his faith? Of course not. But I am saying that his faith and godliness helped put her in position. She witnessed his faith. She observed his perseverance. She heard the speeches between him, his friends, and God. And I wouldn't be surprised if she was there when God addressed him directly. Does anybody think that she could listen to God and walk away unmoved? 
Now, the Lord blessed Job and his wife with ten more children, now twice as many. And the joy and the happiness of their family is symbolized by the daughter's inheritance. You know as well as I do that ordinarily in Jewish writings, only the sons are mentioned as heirs. But here are three individual daughters who are distinguished by name. Jemima, Keziah, Karen, Hapuk were the most beautiful women in the East. And they received an inheritance from Job among their brothers. And then we have Job's siblings and his friends who had been estranged when he was suffering, now being reconciled. They all visited him, ate with him, showed him sympathy, comforted him. And God worked through them to bless Job with gifts of money and gold, which is characteristic of God's rich and abundant bounty for the saints. When Israel left Egypt, it was with silver and gold jewelry, according to Exodus 11. When the Jews left Babylon, it was with basins of silver and gold and thousands of vessels. So when Job was restored, it was with pieces of money and rings of gold. And it was to show the importance of focusing on the conclusion, not the start. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. The fruit is better than the blossom. The reaping is better than the sowing. In the midst of pain and suffering, we have to exercise faith to see the end. In the present, there is pain. In the future, there is righteous fruit. We should embrace God's promise and look ahead to the reward. It was good for me that I was afflicted, said David, that I might learn your statutes. You see, the gracious end of our afflictions is the soul's sanctification. The glorious end of all of our afflictions will be eternal blessedness in heaven. That's what we're looking for. This will be God's gift. He'll give it to us in Christ. And we can persevere by viewing our afflictions as a means to a glorious end. So in conclusion, let me just say that great suffering and disappointment often go before joy and exaltation. Proverbs 18.12 says, humility comes before honor. Jesus himself had to suffer first, and only then did he enter into glory. Manton says, first to be crowned with thorns before being crowned with glory. That's the life of the Christian. We are humbled in this present world so as to be exalted in the next. So important is this principle that the Spirit said it again among the Proverbs. Humility comes before honor in Proverbs 15.33. So according to the infinite wisdom of God, he makes us poor in spirit, then rich in grace. And after Job lost all of his earthly comforts, God blessed his end more than his beginning. And therefore, afflictions should never be seen in their beginning, but how they will end. That's how we should view all the things that we have to endure in this life. What's the end? What's the purpose? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. The afflictions of this life, whatever they are, some more severe than others, they're only temporary, they're for the moment. 
The believer's advantage is to judge his afflictions not as they feel now, because they're painful, but to see what they're going to issue in, the fruit of righteousness. In all of God's providences, he mixes mercy with justice. There is sweet and there is sour. The all-wise God so orders things that he mingles the colors both dark and bright. There are crosses and there are blessings. The body is in pain while the soul is at peace. Job lost everything. He was clothed with sores, but he was commended by God. And afterward, as we see in this text, the Lord doubled his blessings. And when the providence is sour, he will often sweeten it with comfort. As Paul says, he comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others. And he does it partly through his word and partly by his spirit. This is my comfort in my affliction, said David, that your promise gives me life. You know, it's often in the depths of affliction that saints experience the sweetest comfort. You've heard those kind of testimonies. It's the comfort that's felt in the consolations of the Spirit of Christ. Isaiah 66, the Lord says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And many will tell us that they're willing to endure sufferings as long as they can enjoy his comfort. There's a great deal of divine kindness, even in the daily cross-bearing. For the Christian, as for, the, as for Samson, there is honey in the belly of the lion. You see, God knows our frame, and he's mindful that we are but dust. So let us trust the all-wise and the most gracious God in the midst of our afflictions. He is absolutely sovereign, and he is infinitely wise. And he's everlasting in his love. And whatever we experience in this fleeting life, we know that it's for our good. We can be certain that God will never relinquish his grip upon the saints. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We saw Job expressing his confusion, his frustration, his disappointment, his deep grief, but he never relinquished his hold on the faith. He never walked away. And it was proof that the Lord would not forsake him, would never leave him. In whatever we're called to endure in this life, and some of us have many things to endure, the prayer requests prove it. And all the things we're called to endure, let's remember this that the farmer tills and plows and cultivates the ground simply to make it more fruitful. And Jesus says every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Even so, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of Christ. Thank God for that. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of your servant who proved the evil one a liar and who proved your grace to be sufficient. We thank you for his example and how he foreshadowed the greatest example of all in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask now that as we sing our praise, you would be pleased to receive it 
and to take pleasure in your people. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.